Good morning, everyone. Come on in, find your seat. Thank you for doing what we've created or make space for in that five minutes. Uh, we want you to, to get to know people. And so uh, you're doing that, which is awesome. Church is as much about the truth that we hear. Uh, it's as much about the relationships that we have and the ability to discuss that truth and to live it out and hold each other accountable and all of that. So if you don't find friends here, that, that would really bum us out. Um, and if you can't find friends here, there are a lot of other awesome gospel preaching churches. Like, find friends at wherever you're worshiping. And we're all on the same team as long as they're preaching Jesus. Like, we'd love to have you, but there's great churches. So wherever you can find friends and community and hear the gospel of Jesus and live that out together, that's where you need to be. And so if that's here, praise Jesus. If that's at another church, praise Jesus. We want heaven to be crowded, and there's a lot of people doing good ministry out there. So, got to clean up one announcement from a man, Wes. Um, we are going to open up the Playland temporarily. Oh, thanks, Caleb. We are going to open up the, uh, the Playland temporarily for 30 minutes after service. However, it will not be open to the public yet. We've got a wall that we're going to build around it so that we can lock it. That door that goes to nowhere that a lot of you have asked me about, what's that about, right? (laughs) Eventually there will be a wall around it, so that's all going to happen this week. So it will not be open this week. If you come and come with your kids, you are going to be the one to tell them, not me, that they cannot play in the playland. Yeah. Oh yeah, and no shoes, if we can. That'll help keep the playland nice for a really long time. And socks, love socks, we don't have athlete's foot, all that stuff, right? So couple things, but super excited about it. Wanted to give our kids a taste of it this week or after service, and then we're going to have to wait just a little bit longer. Waiting is hard, but it'll be worth it. So there we are. That's, uh, that's what I need to say there. <clears throat> With that, let's get into the message this morning. I'm going to start off where we started off last week. I'm sure that none of you will be surprised. I showed Wes how to put slides in the computer, and this is how he repays me, right? He puts a picture of me up there. I was cold. I was cold. I had my house robe on and my Packers gear, right? So none of you, after seeing this photo, none of you will be surprised to learn that I am a giant nerd, huge nerd. And uh, I used to play that pretty close to my vest, right? But anymore, I just, I don't care what you think about me. Just don't care. Just full on embraced it. So much so that in my new office, I am going to display a hobbit sword. (laughs) I am. My wife, Rachel, is completely against this. She's like, what? The sword's name is Sting, for anyone who cares, right? It's an elven sword. Gandalf found it in a troll horde. Then he gave it to Bilbo. Bilbo gave it to Frodo. It glows blue when orcs are close. And goblins, yes, my man, a fellow nerd. Let's go, right? Most of you are like, what is he talking about? Because you're not a nerd, and I am, right? I am, and and I'm perfectly fine to admit it. And some of you are like, what is happening right now? Where are we going? Where are we going? Hang hang in with me in my nerdiness. You're catching on. You might have noticed I'm a big I'm a big fantasy guy. Love fantasy novels. Like, sci-fi, if it's a movie in that realm, I've probably seen it, right? If it, if it deals with Lord of the Rings or Wizards or Elves, I'm reading it, I'm watching it for sure. Star Trek, Star Wars, live wrong and prosper. I'm a fan. <laughs> I'm a fan. I am. I'm a fan. 
And in this genre of fantasy novels, of mystery, or not mystery, of fantasy and, and sci-fi stuff, there's always like a mysterious character, right? Sometimes they're aliens, sometimes they're wizard. Gandalf is a fallen star in Lord of the Rings. He's a wizard, he's got superpowers, right? They all have, they're mysterious, they're, they're, they're kind of weird, they're out there, some of them are aliens, and they always have superpowers. Sometimes they're just super smart, sometimes they can like conjure stuff, it's awesome. It's cool stuff, cool stuff. You say it's nerdy stuff. I say it's awesome, potato, potato, right? You've, so if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you'll know that we're in a series called Man of Mystery, Man of mystery. We've been examining the life of Jesus as he kicks off his ministry in what the church has come to know throughout church history as the season of epiphany. This is when Jesus is revealed to the Gentile people. And he comes in with a bang, right? He's introduced to the world with an angelic announcement, with a virgin birth. And it's, it's a big deal. A voice from heaven's like, this is my son, listen to him. That's really clear and upfront. And then as he kind of runs off into his ministry, things get less clear and a whole lot more mysterious. And as he's, he's ministering, he starts to operate in ways that are foreign. Some might even say alien or other or outer-worldly, other-worldly. He's a man of mystery who begins to, to do things in his ministry that leave those around him who are watching simply just to wonder. And they ask the question is, who is this Jesus? Who is this guy? And how are we supposed to respond to him? Now, if you've been with us, you know those are the two questions that we've been trying to answer as we've been working through the gospel of Mark. And so I'd invite you to turn with me there once again to Mark chapter 1. And we'll continue to press into those questions as we see this otherworldly kind of alien force, a supernatural being operate with supernatural power in our world. And we'll again be confronted with that question of who is this Jesus, this man of mystery? How do we respond to him? As we read in just a minute, you will see Jesus continues to reveal himself as someone who is mysteriously otherworldly. And he does so by teaching with authority and demonstrations of power. So let's read it together in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. Mark writes, They went to Capernaum when the Sabbath came, and Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And then the people were all so amazed And they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching, and with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Okay, that's our text for this morning. The first thing I want you to notice comes from verse 21. I want you to notice, firstly, that Jesus came teaching. He came teaching. 
And you might be wondering, well, what did he teach? And we're not told right here, but if you remember from last week, Mark gives us kind of like the the summary statement of what Jesus came teaching. Mark 1 verse 15, Jesus arrives on the scene, his ministry shoots off the block, so to speak, and he says the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. That's the essence of his message. Essentially, Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, and he told us that it was good news. It had come near, and that is incredibly good for us. And as he goes out throughout his ministry, he continues to elaborate more on what it means that the kingdom of God has come near. He teaches about who this king is, what he's like, what his rule and reign is like, how it's just and merciful, how it's kind. It's a good rule and reign that we should come under, that he will protect us and lead us into the good life. Jesus taught about what the king was like, and he taught about how his subjects should live. He said, if you want to become one of my subjects, not only can you serve me, but I actually will adopt you as a child of the king. You become an heir to the kingdom, a child, a son or daughter of the king. And he tells us what that looks like to live like a son or daughter of the king. He taught about kingdom values and kingdom living. Jesus taught us how to live with less stress and anxiety in life and also how to find rest and joy for our souls. It makes it pretty easy to understand why this message is so often called good news, doesn't it? Right? Who in here could use a a little bit less anxiety, a little bit less stress in their life, a little bit more rest, a little bit more joy. Jesus tells us in His Word and through His Spirit of how to find both when we draw near to the King who has come close, we draw under or come under His rule and reign. Now, it may sound obvious when we learn that Jesus came teaching, right? That may sound obvious to us, that he he came teaching objective truths about how to live and find joy and peace and, and rest through relationship with God. It should be obvious. Think about it for a second. If the author of all of creation shows up, it would seem pretty obvious that he have a thing or two to say about what it means to live as one of his created beings seems pretty obvious that he would know a thing or two about how to live in this life and what it, it looks like to live as it, within his creation. It seems pretty obvious that if Jesus is teaching, that we would do, be wise to, to listen to what he has to say. And yet, so many of us are quick to dismiss Jesus' teaching. So many of us are, are quick to, rather than view Jesus as, a, as an authoritative teacher, We think of him as just a good guy that we can kind of just pick or choose. Well, I like that. I don't like that, right? We don't don't have to listen to what he taught as objective truth. We can kind of decide for ourselves what we like and what we don't like about what he had to say. This is true for people outside of the church. Sadly, this is true for some Christians inside of the church as well. Why is that? Why is it that we're offended when we learn that Jesus wants to tell us the avenue, to ha- the, the pathway that we have to live to have the good life, objectively speaking, he says, this is right, this is wrong, here's how you should live to know love and peace and joy and less anxiety and worry, do this and, and you'll have the good life. Why is it that we're offended by that when we hear that? 
Well, because if there is such a thing as objective truth, if there is such a thing as right and wrong, then we aren't free to invent our own truth or our own realities. We aren't free to live our own truth if the truth we choose conflicts with God's truth. And as it turns out, especially in our culture, people don't really like being corrected, right? They don't really like being limited by anything. Live your own truth. Well, this is my truth. I don't, you can have your truth, but this is my truth, right? That's what we live with. To some degree or another, we want to live our own lives in the way we want to live them. But in spite of whatever truths we tell ourselves, according to Jesus and what he taught and what he continues to, date, to, te- continues to teach through his word and his spirit, many of us love trash that we call truth, and it leads us anywhere but to the good life. It leads us to darkness, to depression, to death, because its origins are not in the truth of the Lord and the author of creation. Its origins are in the darkness, and they come, it comes from demons. It's true. For many, objective truth is offensive. But because God is good, and because He loves us, He came to us in our confusion and in our darkness to shine a light, the light of truth, which is exactly what Jesus came teaching. If you're a Christian here this morning, and you know Jesus, you have a unique perspective on truth because you know the author of truth personally. Friend, do not shy away from teaching it as Jesus teaches you. Now, we don't need to be combative with the truth we know. Jesus was rarely combative. He was firm in his convictions, to be sure. He was stern at times, but he was never rude. He was always loving. He always sought out other people's interests in both what he taught and and this is equally as important, how he taught. In regards to the strong, when he dealt with people that were very strong, strong opinions, the proud, he was strong in his teaching and his conviction. And when he dealt with the weak, with the confused, with the lost, he was compassionate and meek with his convictions and truth. But in both camps, he was always loving and kind. And some of the things that get talked about as being loving in our world, like, right, we can't offend people. It's like, no, love, love sometimes takes the risk to offend in order that we can protect and build up. That's what Jesus did. He was always loving and kind because he always spoke the truth in a way that was with an aim to build people up, to correct, to protect. He was always loving and kind. In every case, when Jesus taught, he did so with an aim to build up and care for the listeners. Christian, follower of Jesus, we would do wise to follow his example. All that to say, Jesus came teaching 
truth, and we should too, with kindness and conviction. I want you to also notice how Jesus taught. He taught with authority and power. You look back at the text. Look at, uh, look at what happens when a demonized individual enters Jesus' place of teaching. He causes quite a disturbance. Verse 24. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This guy walks into where Jesus is teaching and he makes a very, very big disturbance, which we're told from Mark is demonic in its origin. In my men's group a few weeks back, one of the guys in my group shared a, a note from his study Bible. If you don't have a study Bible, I encourage you to get one. We can talk after service about a couple that I think are, are good. But occasionally you'll come across a note that's just gold. And he had one. He shared it. And so I want to share it with you. Of Here's what Satan's plan is. Here's what the demonic looks like when it shows up in our life. So this is a, a note from my friend Joe's study Bible. Satan's plan against us. It's a bunch of D words. Satan plans to sow seeds of doubt in your heart and mind. He wants to make you question God's word and God's goodness. He plans also to sow seeds of discouragement, to make you look at the problems that surround you and grumble, rather than focus on God and be grateful for all of the beautiful and wonderful gifts he's given to you. Satan wants to discourage you. He wants to distract you as well or, or, or provide diversions throughout our lives. Satan wants to make the wrong things and sometimes good things more attractive to us than the God things that Jesus teaches us about. He wants to, he wants to make the wrong things seem attractive so that you will want them more than the right things. Distract, divert your attention from God things. He wants to sow seeds of defeat in your life. Make you feel like a failure. Whisper in your ear, you're a joke. You call yourself a Christian? Come on, you, you shouldn't even go to church. If people knew what you were up to, pff, can you even imagine? He wants you to feel defeated in your faith so that you just give up and you don't even try anymore. He wants you to delay. Spirit of procrastination, right? Right? He wants to make you put off doing something so that it never gets done. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've talked to people that don't even want to think about what happens after we die. I'll think about it later. I have plenty of time. What if you don't? Satan wants you to delay figuring out the answer to that question. And this is not from his study Bible, but it's one that I'll include because I see it. Satan wants to divide and sow seeds of division. For all kinds of things. Satan loves to divide believers by having them make mountains out of molehills. This could be in relation to carpet choices and paint colors on the wall at a church, which thankfully we've been protected from for the most part. It could also be in issues of theology, where we like to ar argue about secondary issues that have no bearing on one's salvation. We turn mountains into molehills 
And Satan gets us to divide and break the unity of our fellowship that we share in the beautiful gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We break fellowship one another over things that Scripture says ain't worth breaking fellowship over. Division. This is Satan's playbook. Doubt, discourage, divide, distract, defeat, delay, checkmate. Backs us into a corner. This is his playbook. It's what we can expect to find when demons show up and exert their influence. I'm not suggesting that there is a demon behind every thought or bad decision that we make or bad emotion that we have, but these are, these are red and yellow flags that we can look at, and if there's a bunch of them all together, well, then we might have cause to reason that the kingdom of darkness is afoot among us. These are all things that the enemy sows. Whether it be from corrupted people that are living under the kingdom of darkness, our corrupted flesh that is in his realm, or from the demonic, right? The origin of these things on that screen. The origin of these things is not from our king. It's not from Jesus. It comes from the prince of darkness. Here in our text this morning, we see one of his agents arrive on the scene, a demonized man, a crazy person. And I think he comes to do a couple of these D words, to distract, to divide those who are listening to Jesus' teachings. We've actually had this happen once in one of our services. Back when we were in the old worship space, a guy in a trench coat came in who was mentally disturbed and possibly demonized. After service, he got up on our stage and he grabbed a microphone and he proceeded to pronounce what he called prophetic revelation about the judgment that our church should be under because we weren't doing what Jesus wanted us to do. There were two couples in our church that I found out over the years that had not been in church for years and they decided today is the day we're going to visit. We've heard decent things about Crossroads, we're going to come. And that fellow gets up on our stage afterwards. Thankfully, it wasn't worse than what it was. It wasn't great. It was scary. Neither one of those couples have been back. That's demonic. That's demonic. This is what Satan does. Distract, discourage, divide, sow fear into people. It's what's happening here when Jesus is preaching. A crazy person shows up. Some people, out of fear, are probably like, what is going on? Other people, the religious leaders, were told that, that they lumped Jesus into this guy's camp, right? Guilt by association. This is the division part, right? They, they, they teach their people, the religious leaders of, the, of that time, they said, well, of course he can cast out demons. He is one of them, right? I don't know if anybody ever thought that. Then that guy, get, what, what kind of place is this? What kind of leadership exists in this church? We've got crazy people getting up on stage talking about prophetic judgment and this all what is this right it's scary it's weird it's mysterious so we've got this guy he shows up heavily under the influence of the demonic and what i want you to see is how jesus deals with him jesus uses his authority and the power that his authority invests into him to silence the schemes of the enemy 
You see, Jesus came teaching with authority and power. And because of what Jesus did and the truth he made all the more true by what he did, you and I can do exactly what we see Jesus doing here. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time unpacking this morning. Before we talk about the authority you and I have as children of the King of Kings, I first want to, I want to give you some teaching. I want to give you some teaching that might make you a little uncomfortable, but it's what the Bible tells us, okay? So bear with me. The world you and I live in is more than a physical world. There is more in our world than what our physical senses can taste, touch, hear, see, and smell. There is more to us as individuals There is more to our realm, the the realm that we live in and and we live our life in. There is more going on here than what the scientific method can test. Our world is physical. Science is great. It can teach us a lot of really good things. But it's it's, it's not the end all be all. There's more going on that science can't deal with because there is a spiritual world that overlaps with our physical world. Angels and demons are real. They're real. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about either. We, we get snapshots in Scripture, but it doesn't, it doesn't give us a systematic theology on angels and demons, the ins and outs. We get, the best, we get some puzzle pieces that we can kind of pull together and say, I, I think this is how this works. I, I think this is what's going on here. Angels are real. Demons are real. They're powerful beings. More powerful than us. Some are good. And some are evil. The fallen ones, those are the evil ones. That's Satan and his demons. They seek to counterfeit, to pervert, and to destroy what God creates. I heard a pastor once say this, and I think it's just a really good truth that we can remember. What God creates, Satan counterfeits. We need a spirit of discernment to test those things. What God creates, Satan counterfeits. He counterfeits and corrupts God's creation. Why? John 10.10 tells us to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his agenda. And in the same way we can see angels working throughout the Scripture to encourage and protect God's people, to influence the people of God for God's plan and God's good ways and God's truth, We can also see the demonic influencing people for evil. They interact within our world, angels and demons. I think probably more than we're even willing to consider. The problem is what most people, what most of us know about the demonic, how you've been trained and discipled, is from the movies that we've watched. Hollywood has done a better job in discipling us, not necessarily in the truth, on what the spiritual realm has to offer. And they sensationalize it and they make a circus out of it. It's not entirely off base, but it's certainly not as good as what Jesus tells us. And because we've been discipled by Hollywood, when it comes to the demonic, really even Christians, especially in the West, we kind of live in two camps. The first camp is we don't believe the demons are real. 
When we think about the demonic, uh, a horned little guy with whatever, red guy with a pitchfork, that's what comes into our head and we laugh it off as a cartoon, right? We don't think it's real. Or those of us who believe in Jesus, the fact that he rose from the dead, that's a supernatural thing. So if you believe in the gospel, your faith is supernatural. So hopefully you're willing to at least concede there's a spiritual realm and supernatural things are possible. The problem is, even if you believe demons exist, you kind of just think that they stay up in the attic and they don't really do anything down in our life. And so like, there's, like, we're, we're, ba- we're basically like lumped in with all the secularists because our, what we live out, we live out what we actually believe that's showed by how we live out our life is that demons aren't real. We say they're real, but we don't think they can do anything meaningful in our life, and so we just ignore them. We stuck them up in the attic, and just like, yeah, I believe in that. The Bible says it, but we don't really do anything with it. That's wrong. We don't think enough about the spiritual realm or the reality of spiritual warfare. That's one error. The other error, which is just as bad, is falling clear over to the other extreme, right? We see a car accident. Well, that was demonic. Right? Flat tire. Oh, demon. Must, this Jesus, oh, Satan must be just really attacking me right now. Right? I got a sickness. Well, that must be a demon. We see a demon behind every single bush in our life. That's also not true. There is not a demon behind every single bush. Right? We have something called sin. We live in a fallen world where stuff is broken. And so sometimes a car accident is just a car accident. Sometimes we get sick because viruses exist. Sometimes it could be demonic, but not always. There's not, a, there's not a, de- a demon behind every single bush. And so we either think they don't exist or we live, we live outside of a different reality where it's like they're everywhere and we need to fear them and, and both are errors. Both are errors. We don't want to become overly fascinated with the demonic. We don't want to live in fear of the demonic. And we also don't want to live as if it doesn't exist because that's not what Jesus teaches us. The truth lies somewhere in the middle. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, he says, listen, church, I do not want you to be unaware of the schemes of the enemy. I do not want you to be outwitted by the devil. He's real. The battle that we wage as Christians is not primarily physical. In Ephesians, he says, the battle we fight is spiritual. We fight against rulers, principalities, powers, and authorities. Those are names for demons, demonic spirits. So I want to I give you kind of a, uh, a class, Spiritual Warfare 101, 100, to kind of just get you thinking and operating in how we should as believers in regards to the demonic. And before we get into that, can we just acknowledge, we've been talking about how Jesus is a man of mystery, right? There's some things that aren't necessarily completely cut and dry. There's some mysterious stuff going on. Don't you think if the God we are going to follow shows up and there's some mystery surrounding, don't you think sometimes in our faith there's going to be some things that, that are going to be mysterious? What we're going to talk about right now, I realize, is, is a little mysterious. It's not straight It's not always cut and dry. It's also not an easy button for the struggles that we have in this life. But there is power in it. 
And I fear that far too many Christians don't understand spiritual warfare, and because of that, we're living in bondage that Jesus came to set us free from. And so let's talk a little bit about, a little bit about how this thing works. Jesus shows up, he's teaching truth, a demon comes on the scene, he's influencing this man. The NIV, I actually don't love the NIV's translation here. The NIV says, uh, a man possessed by an unclean spirit shows up and he, he starts bellering and carrying on. The first thing I need you to know is that word possession, which again, Hollywood, right? All of uh, possession, we, they love that. It's crazy and people's eyes are rolling back and it's wild, Right? The word possession does actually not exist in the Greek. Possession is not a great use, word to use when we're talking about demons because a possession assumes ownership. And demons don't own anything. God owns it all, right? And so the word that gets translated as possession, it's better translated as demonized, like a spectrum, It's a demonized individual, or we could say someone who is heavily under the influence of a wicked spirit, an unclean spirit, a demon. They're not owned, but the demons have a high degree of influence in their life. That's what it means when you see the word possession. I want you to think in terms of influence. That's what we're talking about. Demons don't own anything. They can, they can influence people, even Christians. Christians can be influenced, not owned, right? If you're a believer, you are owned by God. You're, you're signed, sealed, delivered. You are saved. But we can still be influenced by demons, and sometimes even to a very high degree. I'll explain how that happens in a minute. It has to do with authority. So we've got we to gotta backpedal here a little bit. And go back to Genesis. We know about Adam and Eve and what happens in their rebellion, right? Adam and Eve, they disobey God, sin enters in our world. What often gets missed when that happens is the transaction that takes place when they choose to believe the lies of Satan and live accordance to his rule and reign rather than God. What they're doing is God said, hey, Adam and Eve, I've given you dominion over this world. Take all of the beauty in the garden. Take it out. Spread it out throughout my whole world. You have dominion. You have authority. And when Adam and Eve chose to believe the lies of Satan and obey him, what they did was, you take our authority. That's why when Satan is referred to sometimes in Scripture, he's referred to as the prince of this earth. Why? Because he has a very, very high degree of authority on this earth that we gave to him. We gave our authority away, and now he has it, which is alarming until Jesus shows up. When Jesus comes, he comes with a greater authority, authority that when he teaches, the people recognize, and when he talks to demons, he says, hey, shut up, come out, they listen, because his authority is greater. It's greater. And then, this is crazy. After Jesus raises to new life, after he raises up to heaven and he ascends to the right hand of the Father, that's the highest position of authority that exists, period. He comes back and he tells us, listen, all authority, all authority has been given to me. Now you go and minister, baptize, make disciples. He commissions us with his authority. You can think of it like this. Angels and demons 
Let's show the next one. We've got God at the top. We've got the angels by the yellow star. The black stars are demons. They exist above us because they're more powerful. We are bottom tier. And yet, when we get saved, that arrow on the right, it says we are saved into Christ. We become united with Christ. He's seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, and so we're in Him, and because we're in Him, we move on up in our authority. He delegates His authority to us. It's like we walk in, we place our hand on the Bible, He says, I'm adeptizing you as a sheriff in the spiritual realm. That's what you are if you're in Jesus and a believer. You're a sheriff in the spiritual realm. And so, without Jesus, you don't have the authority, but now with Jesus, you do. You do. And here's the illustration to think about how this works. We don't have unlimited authority. If we had unlimited authority, we could walk into hospitals and command everyone to be healed, and they would. We could command anybody that was ever demon-possessed or, or demonized, demon come out, and they would. And yet we see in Scripture sometimes that the disciples aren't able to do it. Why? And Jesus says, well, these come out by prayer and fasting only. You see, Jesus gives us authority, but it's limited It's limited to what? His will, his ways. There's laws that govern this. Hang with me. Here's how this works. It's like being a sheriff. Imagine being pulled over, right? I hate this. It like, it makes my blood pressure go so high when I get pulled over. It's like, there are real criminals in this world and you're gonna pull me over for going five miles an hour? Come on, right? And it's even worse when it's a young punk kid like this guy over here, right? My boy Ian, Love him, right? That stinks. When you get pulled over, especially like an 18-year-old, right? And, and maybe this 18-year-old, not Ian. Ian is a man of integrity and, care, and character. But sometimes, you like, maybe went to high school with a guy, and it's like, dude, I know you. You're a party animal. He's character. None of that matters when he pulls you over, right? Why? Because he's operating with delegated authority. The power of the state of Ohio and the federal government exists behind him. So his character doesn't matter, whether he's strong and could beat you. None of that matters. What matters is he's got a badge and he's been deputized and stands with the authority of the government behind him. And so if he wants to write you a ticket for breaking the law and going five minutes over the speed or five miles an hour over the speed limit, he can. And you need to listen because he has real authority. And what he can't do is write me a ticket because my breath smells, right? As offensive as that might be, that's not, that, you're not breaking a law because you have stinky breath. So his authority is limited by the laws that exist. That's what your and my authority is like in the spiritual realm. We can't just do whatever we want. Our authority is limited to the will, to the ways, to the desires of our king, to the laws that he set up. Now I said, this has to do with with authority. So here's how this works. Here's how this works. You say, how, how do demons gain influence into someone's life? If spiritual warfare is primarily about authority, think of it in terms of a courtroom. I'm going to give you an acronym. The acronym is called SOUL. If we sin and we let that sin go unconfessed, unrepented of, we're agreeing with the prince of darkness, and it's like we're, we're signing a contract up in heaven, and we're saying, listen, in this area of my life, I'm giving you authority and permission to have influence, because I'm agreeing with you. Here's the contract. We sign it. Sin's the first one. If we participate in occult activities, 
like sacrificing rabbits and doing all the crazy stuff that occult people do. We're signing a contract in the courtroom of heaven, giving permission to the demonic to have a very high degree of influence in our life. Unforgiveness. If someone sinned against you and you're harboring unforgiveness towards them in your life, this is huge. You are opening yourself up to the demonic, signing a contract, not literally, figuratively speaking, in the courtroom of heaven saying, I agree more with Satan and his realm and what he thinks, and so I'm going to live in accordance to him. I'm going to believe his lies rather than live in accordance to God's truth. And so in this part of my life, I'm going to give you greater access and influence than what you should typically have. Lineage is another one. The sins of our family. Sometimes there's contracts that are signed that give permission from the next generation to the next. Do you have habitual sin in your life? A bunch of alcoholism or something? There could be some sins from your grandpa or your dad that's opening you up to some stuff, demonically speaking. Lies we believe is the last one. Sin, occult, unforgiveness, lies we believe in lineage. They open doors to the enemy to have greater access into our life than what we should have. You say, okay, how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? If there is a demon operating in my life, we do what Jesus did. We come under his teaching. We live our lives in accordance with what he said. I boiled it down to the four C's. This is not from me. It's from a guy I read, Marcus Warner. We confess our sin. We don't live as if there isn't any sin in our life. We acknowledge when we screw up. We confess it. Lord, I did this. It was wrong. I wasn't living in alignment with your kingdom. I was living in alignment with the kingdom of darkness. I don't want to do that any longer. I confess that. We're pretty good with that part. What we don't often do as believers, because we don't realize the legal battle that's taking place, is cancel. We need to tear up that contract. The authority that's been given, we need to take that back. So we cancel it. Lord, I sinned. Here's what I did. If I gave ground to the enemy, a foothold, a stronghold anyway, I take that back now in the name of Jesus Christ. And I can because you paid the debt and you've given me the power to do so. I tear that up in the throne room of heaven by the power of your blood, Jesus. I cancel that ground. I take it back. And then at that point, well, they got nowhere to stand. Their authority's been dealt with because we've taken it back and we command. If there is a demon in, on, present, around, influencing me, we've dealt with its authority, and now, by the blood of Jesus, leave. Go wherever Jesus sends you. And you know what, church? They have to listen. Why? Because you are a sheriff, deputized by the king, and you've dealt with the legal issue, and now you have the authority to cast that demon to the pit. And then, we circle the horses back up, and we recommit whatever area that that struggle was in, back to the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for the forgiveness, for the freedom that you've given to me. By the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would cleanse that area of my life, that you would wash it, wipe it clean, that you would refill me with your presence and help me live in alignment with you. And then, church, we walk in freedom. Okay. I know it was a lot. I knew it was going to be long. Are you good? You good if I share a personal story? You got, you got a minute yet? All right, I can wrap up if you're done. You look, you look a little zonked, right? Let me, let me share a personal story. Here's why, here's why I wanted to take so much time here. One, we see it all over Scripture, and I don't feel like the church has done a great job teaching about this. Two is my own personal story. I didn't know about this stuff until like seven years ago. I mean, I'd kind of heard about it. I had one, cla one class period in college. I went to Bible college. We spent one class period talking about this. One. This is like a 10-week sermon series. Some of our folks just went to a mini-conference uh, Friday and Saturday. It's not enough. There's so much here. 
So I, I went to a conference with Seth, or when I was Seth, with Wes, six years ago, and learned about the four C's and, and how we gain access to influence from the demonic in my life. And I learned that there's not a demon behind every bush. I have sin, and we can't cast out the flesh, right? <laughs> we have a sin nature that exists, and sometimes the stupid things we do is just because of the stupid sin that exists within me. And it's on, my, it's on me. It's my personal choice. And I grew up thinking that was primarily the deal. Like, if I have sin, it's my problem. The issue with that is when we deal with habitual sin, like I did for a tremendously long time as a believer, and I could not kick it. I've shared this before with you all, and I don't love sharing it. I struggled with pornography. I was addicted to pornography, man, since I was like in sixth grade, through college, even into my ministry year. I would say at best, I managed it. I know it's wrong. It's, it's so sinful. It's horrible. It destroys marriages and relationships. It makes you objectify. It's evil. It's from the devil. I knew that in my head, and I hated it. And I went to Bible study a lot. And I, I, I prayed with my buddies, and I had accountability partners, and I fasted a lot. And I prayed, and I read my Bible, and I still failed often, consistently. And I felt like a failure and ashamed and defeated. Hmm, defeated. What does that sound like? See, I was doing all of the work that the Bible says we should do to walk in freedom, and yet I was not free. And so I went to this conference and I learned some of this stuff, and I said, This is interesting. I'm doing the weightlifting that everyone tells me if I do this, I should walk in freedom, and yet I'm not free. I'm a slave to pornography, and I hate it. I hate it so much. And I feel powerless to do anything about it. So I called one of my pastor friends up. I said, hey, here's some of the stuff that I'm learning. And he said, actually, I've just started learning about this too. He said, can I pray for you? I said, bro, would you? So we went up in a private room in his office, and we went through the four C's. And I confessed some things that I never told anybody before. And then we canceled the legal ground that that sin had given permission for the enemy to have influence to a high degree, right? A supernaturally supercharged sin struggle in my life. We tore that contract up. It wasn't sensational. I confessed it. My buddy Sam, he said, all right, in the courtroom of heaven, we're tearing up the authority that's been given over by the blood of Jesus. They, if, if, I love this, you can pray if prayers. You don't have to know, right? We, we don't have to know. Sometimes you don't know. It's like, hey, if there's authority that's been given, we're going to take that back and tear it up because Jesus' blood says we can. And so he said, Jesus, if there's anything going on here, we're going to tear this up. And then he commanded Jesus, if there's any demon in, on, around, influencing this, this porn struggle, we command it to go. Church, my eyes didn't roll back in my head. Nothing crazy happened, but I felt something leave. Six years ago, I was set free from addiction to pornography. I don't look at it anymore. It's not to say I'm not tempted by beautiful women and all of that stuff, right? There's temptation still real. I haven't failed. I walk in freedom because I believe... I fought spiritually 
I resisted the devil in the way that I think Scripture teaches, and he's fleed from my life in that area. This is what our freedom ministry is about here. You've heard me talk about it. We have a freedom forum. Part of it is deliverance. We met with a guy just six months ago who had a similar struggle to mine, porn. We prayed through some stuff. We went through the four C's. Again, nothing crazy. We're not about the circus. We actually bind that. Hey, you can't do stuff here. This is, this is going to be an orderly thing. If there's any demon present, you're not going to control people. It's not going to be wild and crazy. We're not about that. We're not about sensationalism or circuses. We're about freedom in Jesus. We prayed for this man. He felt loved. And I asked him just yesterday. I said, hey, I want to share your story, can I? He said, yeah. He said, how you doing? He said, I'm free, brother. I'm free. Jesus set me free. I want this for you. Jesus wants this for you. When he came and he opened the scriptures, he said, listen, I came, what? To set captives free. If you're doing the weightlifting, if you're involved in deep Christian community, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're, you're being discipled, and yet you're still dec- discouraged, depressed, divided. You've got so much doubt in your life. You are addicted and you can't get unaddicted. Not always. Sometimes it's demonic. And if it is, Jesus can help you with that. If it's not, there's some trauma and some other stuff that we can work through in our freedom ministry. It's, there's not an easy button. It's not always cut and dry. It is mysterious at times. Jesus came to set us free. He came teaching with power and authority. Friends, you and I, we can too. We can too. Because of what Jesus did, it means that we no longer struggle against sin as victims. We wage war as victors. So what do you change, church? Let's go to war. Let's go to war. Let's pray. Father, thanks. Oh, I know I went long. It's worth it, Lord. We need to know. You've, you've, you've laid it out for us. You've given us authority, and far too many of us don't even realize we have it. I pray, Father, that we wouldn't oversimplify this. I pray that you would prevent us from becoming overly fascinated with the demonic, believing that it's everywhere, or that we have no personal responsibility for the sin in our life. We do. That's not what you're saying to us this morning. But, Lord Jesus, for those of us who are stuck, who are in you, in relationship, doing what you've called us to do, following you, holding firm to the truth, and we're not being set free by that truth, Would you open our minds up to the possibility that there might be a supernatural struggle going on and you have given us tools to fight with in regards to that? I pray, Father, that you'd continue to train us as a body on what this looks like. Keep us centered on your word. Keep us guided by your spirit. I pray that each and every one of us would have the gift of discernment because what you create, Satan counterfeits. Not everything supernatural that happens comes from you. And so give us discernment by the power of your spirit to know what's from you and what's not. We want to be people of your word. We want to be people that know you. Thank you that you didn't give us a rule book. You gave us a relationship so that when things get mysterious, we don't have to worry because you're walking right with us, step in step, hand in hand. Help us trust you, Lord. Guide us as we work to set the captives free. We pray this for your glory and our joy. Amen. Let's close with a, more, with a, with a beautiful song.
that talks about how Satan and the darkness tremble. 